Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to challenge you to follow Christ, and to inspire you to lead a consecrated life. For more than a decade, Sam Ahn has faithfully served as an administrator and teacher at the Korean extension of the Atlanta Bible College. In this interview, you'll learn about his own story of faith, as well as what God is doing through his ministry to touch Koreans both in America and in South Korea. Here now is Interview 48, Korean Ministry with Sam Ahn. Sam, thanks so much for taking some time out to talk with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe you could just start by telling me a little bit about your own spiritual journey. Uh, did you grow up a Christian? Also, did you grow up in Georgia, or were you born in Korea? I was curious about that. Yeah, I was uh, I was born in Korea, Seoul. I don't remember much, because uh, I actually left Korea when I was three. Uh, Steve, my father, was actually in the import-export business, okay. and that was a huge business back then. But no, I didn't grow up as a Christian. Let's see, I moved to New York from Korea. And back then, New York was a hot zone for the import-export business. Just growing up in uh, New York, actually, uh, Long Island. Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, Plainview, Hicksville, Westbury. Um, How old were you when you moved to the United States? uh, Three. And you were in New York until you were how old? Until I was about 12. Oh, wow. So those are your formative years. Yeah. As far as, you know, your childhood. I mean, three, yes. nobody remembers three anyhow. No, um, no. Maybe you have a, a faint memory of what it was like. Yeah, very faint, yes. Yeah. So what was New York like, being that I am in New York right now? <laughs> well, back then, New York, uh, there was a lot of breakdancing. Oh, Obviously, yeah. Got yeah. into a lot of the 80s music. There was My favorite part of New York was actually uh, Chinatown, Little Italy. Uh-huh. The food was amazing. Yeah. But, you know, I, I never went to church back then. Uh, I, I actually didn't even know who, uh, you know, Christianity, I, I just ne- never entered my mind. Wow. But then uh, towards the latter part of 12, we moved to Maine. Okay. Of all places. And that is where our family started the farming business. Now, and, that seems like a strange decision. I mean, was there, what, what was your dad's reason for that? It's really just to support the family. Dad knew as an immigrant, um, if he wanted to start another business, I guess at the time, I mean, just the knowledge of what he had with the U.S., maybe the opportunities he thought just were not there. Okay. So through some contacts and network, um, he discovered that he could get into the farming business. I mean, we had John Deere tractors and everything. Oh, wow. In the warmer months of the year, we would be in Maine, and then the colder months, we would travel to Florida. Uh So half the school year, I would be at one school, and the other half of the school year, I would be in Florida. Wow. So the culture shock between, you know, going from Korea to, well, not that I remember much about it, but to New York, and then all of a sudden to Maine, and then from Maine to Florida— so that, that was my life, uh, four years of my life. What happened Until, next? Well, he scrapped the business, and we settled in Georgia after that. 
we settled in a small town called Cartersville, Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, back in the early 90s. And that's where I went to high school and graduated. Okay. And then I went to uh, Southern Polytechnic State University. And I have a uh, Bachelor of Science in a construction program through that school. During that time, Dad went into the construction business. So we had a pretty <laughs> formidable construction business. Uh, he was a jack of all trades, wow. literally. And I became a construction major, and I did uh, some uh, architectural drawings for him, and did some field work. And it was after college I started to notice some things that are missing in my life. Um, I had a really bad accident back then, actually. I uh, rolled my pickup truck eight times on a major interstate. Wow. Eight times? Yeah. I actually have video of it. How I got it, an officer handed it to me after the accident, after they released me from the hospital. But I guess it was uh, uh, another pedestrian, maybe they have filmed it. It was then I ended up at the Bible college. I didn't want to go, really. I didn't really go because of uh, anything religious-based or Christian-based. I just went because the rent was cheap. (laughs) Wait a second. So how did you run into people at the Atlanta Bible College to find out about rent and everything? Well, I missed the comment here. Dad actually found the college. He was actually there two years before I was. Okay. When he was in construction, he found God. Because he was doing a lot, he was building a lot of churches ah. uh, through the business, and he met Korean pastors after Korean pastors, and he slowly started to read the Bible, and he realized that there was something there. So that sparked him to go to the Bible college, and then during the time he was there, that's when I had my uh, almost fatal accident. I lost a lot. I lost everything. I lost all my equipment. I lost a lot of money. Just. I didn't have, I literally had nothing left after that. Wow. And I was very miserable. I was depressed. What was your health like? Did you break bones or what kind of danger were you in? I actually was admitted to the hospital. Ambulance, the whole nine yards, the fire, Cobb County or Marietta Fire Department come out literally to pry the doors off my truck to get me out. I was put into a gurney, into an ambulance, admitted into the local hospital. Um, about two o'clock that afternoon, I walked out at 10 PM that same day. Wow. So I walked out of it unscathed. Huh? Yeah. That's some, so that must've gotten your attention, but you were, that did, but you were depressed after that. I was very depressed after that. Okay. It almost felt like God made some events. Like he had a hand in some of these events that occurred and I just didn't know it. I didn't see it. Until years after, hey, this, this was my first step where God was trying to point me in the right direction, where I recognized that he had been doing that for some time. And so I ended up at the college, rents cheap, because dad introduced me to it. And slowly I started to make friends, and they just kind of helped me along. And that's my first instance of Christianity. And what year was this when you first started uh, living at the college? 2000, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Because when I got there, it was 2003, and it seemed right. like you, I don't, I don't know, I think you were already graduated by then. No, not yet. Not yet. I wasn't 
quite. Well, you were there. established. I I, you you knew a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, that's when Dad actually, two thousand and one, I think he started the Korean Extension. Okay. So yeah, that that makes that 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 works out time wise. Yeah. So what happened next for you as you developed uh, friendships with other Bible college students? I mean, why were you going to Bible college anyhow? I mean, what's the point of that? <laughs> were you just curious or well, it was just a cheap it, it, rent? It was just a cheap rent. I mean, literally, honest truth, that was the reason why I ended up at the Bible college because it was a dormitory. Gary Burnham basically told me, hey, if you want to stay here, you need to be a student. And I said, okay, well, I'll go with that. I'll just pay my tuition. I'll pay you the rent and I'll just live here. They paid for electricity. They paid for the water. All I had to do was pay the rent. So yeah, that was yeah. fine. That's what started it all, really, for me. And uh, it's amazing how God plants these little tidbits of, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but, I mean, he just placed these little things there to create something much, much bigger. I just didn't know what God had in store for my life. Yeah, that's something. Um, I mean, for me, the only reason why I went to the Atlanta Bible College or Bible College in general is because I really wanted to go to Africa. Oh. And Dr. Joe Martin said, well, why don't you come down first semester, get to know us, let us get to know you. If all goes well, then you can come with us. And that's the only reason why I ever came down. It, it wasn't to go to Bible college. It was just like, all right, well, I'm here, so I might as well do this. <laughs> right. And then right. it ended up with me in pastoral ministry, <laughs> yeah. which was not ever an expectation. You know, I was going to do computer engineering. That's what my undergrad was in. So your your story resonates with me a little bit there, uh, although I never rolled a vehicle eight times. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, back then I was I was very rebellious. I wasn't really searching for anything. I wasn't. I just wanted to get through the day, make money, and just have fun, party, live my life the way that I want. I didn't. I just carefree. Um, I didn't really sit down to think about what I wanted to do five years from now, or let alone ten years, a long plan, a future plan. I just had none of that. I had no guidance. Uh-huh. I had a problem with authority, just a bad part of my life. But then now I realized that it, it was just the steps that God was putting me through. I mean, he was basically putting me in a position where you need to experience all of this in order to get here. Yeah. So what happened next for you? Um, Well, I I was at the college. Um, I wasn't quite there working for the college yet. I was actually working at a cell phone store in uh, Riverdale, which is uh, 20 minutes, I think it's west of the college. And it was in a bad part of the neighborhood. Uh, through another contact, I mean, I, I had, I mean, I can work pretty well with my hands with electronics. And somebody had introduced me to this store owner, and they needed someone to manage the store. So I said, okay. So I went, um, and I worked there for a, a number of years. Being at the bad part of town, I experienced some uh, um, some scary moments. I had some nights where I had. I, the store was held, held up at gunpoint. Oh, really? I was at gunpoint three times. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you stayed there? Yeah, I stayed. <laughs> I stayed. I stayed. Um, I mean, I just I, at the time, I, just, I, I probably should have ran out the first time that happened. But the store owner is Korean, and he always gave me the sob story. You're the only person that I can trust with the store. I don't have anyone else who's willing to come down here, yada, 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 yada. 
And of course, I didn't understand the seriousness of looking down a gun barrel, obviously. Right. I don't know if that was because of my stupidity, but anyway. Was there, for you and your family, always like this strong connection with other Korean immigrants in the United States? Like, hey, we got to stick together. Was that always part of part of you? Yes. Okay. That is that is a huge part because uh, the Korean culture is very collective. When one Korean moves in the group, the other Koreans move with. It's almost like a pack. Okay. Um, I have been told from several students that they Koreans in Korea would sell off everything just because a buddy of theirs who live in the U.S. basically tells that person, hey, you have to come to the U.S. And just from that, they'll sell off everything and come because the opportunity is so great. I mean, wow. they, they beautify the conversation and they come and some make it and some don't. So uh, it, it, here's a, a prime example. In the business world in Korea, uh, if you have a, a team of employees and you have a supervisor, literally the supervisor will invite all of the staff, hey, we all need to go out tonight, and all the employees will forego their personal stuff to go with the supervisor because they don't want to look bad the next day in front of the supervisor. Wow. Yeah, it's very different. It's uh, very collective instead of individualistic. Yes, hmm. yes. So uh, as you were going to school, you had a couple more near-death experiences <laughs> at the cell phone store. Yes. And then what? Yes. Moving on, I, I, this is where I met my wife, Sarah. We were always in the group setting, um, and I knew her through other friends at the college. We hung out a lot. Uh, six months later, we ended up getting married. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, only after six months. I mean, that was six months of dating, but we knew each other for about two years. I see. But we always hung out together as a group. Now, so it wasn't where I knew only for six months and then we just got married. Um, but we exclusively dated for six months. But prior to that, it was two years of being friends among other friends. Mm -hmm. And I asked her parents for her hand in marriage. Rex Kane was a bit reserved. Um, but they, uh, Sharon and Rex Kane had gave us uh, their blessing and, and we had our wedding, uh, in 2004 and shortly after i graduated two years a year and a half two years later uh our first child was born that's when i think i really really got serious with the ministry i mean not, not that i wasn't serious before but that's when i really felt there was a huge change in my life because of the responsibility that i had um, so during this period, when you were going to the Bible college, you were taking classes about the Bible. You, you know, I assume you're passing them, right? So you're, you're yes. reading, you're writing papers. You know, at some point, what it, it, it must have moved from being being just a book to being something that you believe God speaks through, right? Yes, it was after my daughter was born. Okay. It's hard to explain. After my daughter was born, I would look at the Bible, I would read the Bible, and the same scripture that I read before my daughter was born, it just, it, it meant some different. It, it, things are different. Yeah. The meanings are different. It just applied to my life in a different way. And that's when I actually started to see 
the Bible as the living word. Huh. It really made sense. Yeah. So I guess it was my daughter that, you know, the birth of my daughter, it, it, that was my pivotal moment in my life. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So after, after this all happened, you managed to join the staff at the yes. Atlanta Bible College. Uh, why don't we just back up for a second? Tell me about the Korean extension and what your dad had achieved by the time you came on board. He started the Korean extension with very little money. Um, actually, he started the Korean extension with his own funds. Uh-huh. I don't know if a lot of people in the general conference know that. But he started the, co- uh, the Korean extension without salary or anything like that. Uh, any type of monetary compensation. Uh, during the time, Tim Jones was the CAO, uh-huh. and he started with 15 students. Each and every semester as it progressed, the time progressed, 15 students became 30 students, and 30 became 40, and 40 became 50, and it just kept progressing. And the college decided to compensate him. Hmm. So then he started receiving a salary. And then when the numbers started to increase, he needed help. Right. So he asked me, will you let go of your current job to come help me? And that was the cell phone store? Yes. Okay. And you were probably like, heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Got a> way out. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it was the transition wasn't where I just dropped my previous employment to go to the college, to work at the college. I still worked for the store a couple of days. It was just the owner. He just could not find anyone. So I just, I sympathized. I, I've known the gentleman for a while. So after a couple of years, I finally let go of the previous employment and became full-time staff at the college. And what were your, um, what were your duties? My duties were tuition collection, ledgers. I, I wasn't teaching then just yet. I was basically... Um, the in-between, the ambassador, the in-between, the mediator in-between. If students had some issues, then I would speak on behalf of the students, which is the same thing my father, Steve, would do. Mm-hmm. It was only after a year I worked for the college, I started teaching. And that was a very scary moment. And this is I've teaching in English or in Korean? Bilingual. I started out with uh, teaching the gospel of John. And I mean, I had the knowledge. It's just presenting the knowledge to a, a class is, is a very scary moment. Yes, it is. <laughs> when it's your first time and you have no experience. I mean, I, I've watched, I, I took a lot of my dad's classes and I watched the way he was teaching. And I took obviously Joe's classes, David's classes, and some of the other uh, college adjunct teaching staff's classes. And, but, I mean, you, you can only get so much sitting in a classroom chair versus standing up in front of the classroom. And it was just something my dad thought I was ready to do. And he just kind of put me in front of my class and just kind of ran with it after that. My strong point uh, with the curriculum is really ESL, English as a second language, okay. and the Western culture. So it's a, a culture comparison between Korean culture and Western cultures. And I tried to help our students with bridging that gap between the two cultures. Now, your students are people from Korea, right? 
yes, they are all from Korea. But the when students first enroll, some are from Korea, and some are from neighboring schools who have transferred in. Okay, but this this cultural aspect is really important because they're dealing with everyday life in America, and presumably the point of ministry, uh, ministry training that they're receiving is it involves evangelism. Right? Yes. So they have to be able to relate to people who are not Christians but are Americans, and yes. uh, you you uh, you could fill them in on how people thought so differently. Yes, I I try, but uh, the success is it's not a hundred percent all the time uh-huh. because obviously you know as well as I do, culture is not something that that you can read through a book or gain from a classroom. I mean, culture is really immersion um, and assimilation where in it's in a real world, real world setting. My biggest struggle with our students with bridging the gap between the two cultures is that our students are kind of hidden in a pocket here in Gwinnett County, here in Georgia. Um, it's basically little Korea. Okay. In New York, there, there's a, a couple of small pockets through New York where it's centralized, where you have Koreans centralized here, businesses, residents, and they all kind of congregate in that one little area. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure that Koreans that live in New York are a bit more immersed than some of the Koreans that live in Georgia, because there's really only one pocket here in Georgia, and that's where I am. Mm-hmm. But in New York, I know there's several different pockets, one bigger than uh, the other. And education is another big thing. A lot of our students, uh, the formal education that they receive in Korea, it's, it's very good. It, it's, it's very formal. But the problem is there's no culture outside of the Korean culture that's in the classroom. Uh-huh. So when they come to the U.S., what they presume to be education, it's not quite the same. I have some students in the classroom who are very reserved when they want to ask a question. They will not ask. They won't raise their hand. They won't even look at me sometimes. They won't make eye contact. So as a teacher teaching English, I don't get a lot of feedback. And my experience teaching, I need to have some feedback. So I call on a student, and there's no enthusiasm, there's no anger, there's no sadness, there's no... I just get a very crooked smile, but not a lot of response. And this is because they're lost? No, it's not that. It's just they're afraid if they speak up or they speak, even if they're asked, they don't want to say anything that would be wrong uh-huh. in, their, in their eyes yeah. or in their head. It's out of respect. Is that is that because they they might bring shame on themselves if they gave the wrong answer? That's yes, that's part of it. They they don't want to cause any undue attention on themselves either in front of other students. There's a cultural term in a Korean cultural term actually. It's called nunchi, and it's basically nun, and it's the eyes, and chi, as in what they're thinking. So if I call on a student and they start speaking, then other students' eyes will be on that student, and they do not want that attention. Huh. Wow. It's unnerving, apparently. Yeah. I mean, we just call that uh, shyness, 
right? And in yeah. typical American yeah. culture, and some people are shy and and yeah. don't want to be the center of attention, and then other people are more extroverted and really want to be the center of of all the action. Um, but you're saying this is cultural more across the board than just like individual. Yes, I see. Huh. So that presents a unique challenge in the classroom. It does. It does. Have you had any um, success working with that or, or working against it? Well, I've been teaching ESL uh, for the Korean Extension uh, since 2008. And to be honest with you, since it, it is an all Korean class, meaning the students are Korean, the teacher is Korean, and the students know that the teacher speaks Korean, it presents a, a bit of a challenge. So in my classroom, I have to bring in a lot of real-world material into the classroom, uh, preferably uh, media. So a lot of pictures, a lot of videos that I'll, I'll incorporate into the classroom to where it gives the students um, a different experience. But it's a second-hand experience. It's not really a first-hand. I consider a first-hand experience would be if they were to go outside into, say, Atlanta or into a big city here uh, in Georgia or in the U.S., and they sort of feel the nuance in the environment. Um, and it all comes together, and they're, using, uh, they're incorporating all their five senses. But in the classroom, a lot of that is lost. So I'm having to do a lot of explaining. Uh -huh. The tone, the setting why this person is this way or why that person is that way and what they're talking about. So I have to present context or explain the context all at the same time. So the classroom is, uh, it's very fast and I try, I have to slow it down. And then sometimes it's a challenge for me too, because I don't have all the experience in context in the United States as well. Um, I haven't traveled all over the U S either. Um, so I use a lot of testimony in the classroom as well. What do you mean by testimony? Like uh, some of the comments uh, that I provided earlier with the store where I, uh, the cell phone store I was held up three times uh -huh. or uh, my near death experience rolling a vehicle. Oh, so you mean sharing your own story? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that there's a lot of honesty in my classroom where I present a lot of myself to the class. And it, I want to say it sort of helps the students where it sets the tone where you don't have to have a feeling of being um, shamed or anything. So I'm sort of setting myself as an example. So the students see, oh, wait a minute, he's sharing a private story. That's not something that Koreans normally do. It, the, the makeup of the whole class is, there's a lot to it. It's a lot of culture, a lot of truth, a lot of honesty breaking the Korean cultural wall, I guess, so to say. Um, now, as far as yourself, do you think of yourself as Korean or American or just like equally at home in both worlds? I've had that question asked a couple of times in my life, and I don't know. I think I'm still going through an identity crisis. <laughs> my daughter, she's 12 now, she calls me a hybrid if that makes any sense. A hybrid? Yes. She says that I keep one foot on one culture and the other foot on the other culture. 
and she's she's told me that she's she has seen me where I could go down the line 50-50 or I could just be take one foot off one culture and just fully immerse myself in another culture or vice versa. I I'm not sure. Huh. I I I don't know if I should call myself Korean American or American Korean. I'm still not sure. <laughs> well, it seems like you're in the right place for that uh for the work that you're doing. Um, now, as you worked at the Morrow campus there for the Atlanta Bible College Korean Extension, when the Atlanta Bible College and the Korean Extension were all under one roof, um, eventually the Korean Extension moved north. Uh, what was that like? It was just a move that was done out of necessity. Okay. And about how far north did you guys move? Uh, we moved Sixty miles northeast okay. uh, from the Morrow campus, and then the Morrow campus closed down, and they moved to McDonough. So, what's yes. the drive time between the two campuses now? Without traffic, I would say about an hour and five minutes. Okay, so that's a significant difference, especially considering yes. the fact that you started that <laughs> by saying without traffic, and I've yes. been in Georgia enough yes. to know that that's. Uh, that's that's uh, that's a pipe dream. Uh, so, you know, this is a significant difference away, and yet you you guys believe the same things, and you're teaching in these different locations, very different cultural locations, but also different geographies. Now, is is the reasoning there that the Duluth campus for the Korean extension that this is where most of the students live? Yes. Okay. Did you um, move up there too? Yes, okay. I, I did. Yeah. So I guess that makes sense then. So you're you're near the people that you're reaching. Yes. And when I said necessity earlier, it's because as time passed, we started noticing that there were some other schools that were establishing Korean extensions as well. Christian schools. And students that lived in Duluth or in Gwinnett County I guess out of the necessity that they would probably choose to go to a closer, a near, more closer school to their residence rather than right. drive. So, so to remain competitive, that, yes. that's another reason to do it. So a uh, quick question about the Duluth campus and where you are now. What, what is really the goal of training up all these people that you've been working on for all these years? I mean, is it to send them back to Korea? Is it to send them to start churches right near where you are or uh, just like personal development, you know, Christian development for individuals or what, what is the overarching goal that you have there? The overarching goal is to present the truth to the Korean community, whether it's here in the United States or in Georgia or it's in Korea. Our goal keeps evolving as time passes. It started out where, we wanted to train pastors, Korean pastors, uh -huh. where the Korean pastors could go out and lead the sheep. Mm -hmm. But we also noticed that these Korean pastors were not culturally diverse as well. So some of the Korean pastors didn't succeed. So now our goal here is to train not just pastors, but train individuals who just know the truth, who would word of mouth, speak to others. So now it's sort of evolving into an outreach. Okay. We have several different 
goals, it seems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so are, are most of the students staying in the United States then after they graduate? No, they move on to other, other studies. And we have some who move back to Korea. We have several pastors who've graduated here who've moved back to Korea to start their own churches. That's one of the jobs Steve undertakes when he travels to Korea. He visits the pastors and he has like an alumni conference. So he contacts all of the uh, uh, graduates or folks who have not finished the program who have moved back to Korea. And he lets them know that he will be there and he'd like to meet with them. So then they all centralize into one city and they'll contract out a church or ask a church if they could borrow their sanctuary and he'll have a one or two day conference and he'll try to help them with any of the issues that they're having just to get reacquainted um, and at the same time it becomes a, a like a recruitment time too because then we have those individuals introduce other individuals in korea hey this young person wants to come to the U.S. to learn. So then it becomes a recruitment time. So then one goal kind of evolves into another goal, and we have other purposes. So Steve does this two times out of the year. So he does it in the summer and in the winter. So when he travels to Korea, it's not just for conferences or seminars. It's also to reestablish and get reacquainted, also for recruitment. So there's multiple purposes. Here in the U.S., our goal is just to help them establish themselves with culture and uh, knowledge, the Bible truth. Uh-huh. Now, h- how about the subject of the Trinity? Does that ever come up? Do you guys address that in the classroom? Is that something that causes uh, difficulty? That subject always causes difficulty. <laughs> it, it does come up, but... Uh, with with the cultural thing, uh, a lot of our students don't say anything. Our staff members would bring it up. And I guess for me, uh, one of my principles in teaching is you have to have a comparison in the classroom, especially when you teach in the Bible. Um, so then we present what the Trinity is and we explain, but then the students don't really comment. We've had one or two situations where students have come to us privately and we would have a private conversation in the office because the students who have an issue with that, they, these are students that have been with our program for a while now. And they're kind of open to a lot of new things, I guess, uh, new knowledge. Uh, they, their attitude is what I, the knowledge that I have, I can only add to it and make what I believe better. And that's the principle that, that we try to establish with, the, with our students. But we haven't had any serious problems with the talk of the Trinity in, cla- in the classroom. Uh, so you're teaching the one God, you're teaching the kingdom, the sleep of the dead, yes. all, all these uh, beliefs that are probably different than what they grew up with in yes. Korea. Yes. And yes. Uh, somehow you're getting away with it <laughs> without not having to suffer too much. <laughs> That's good, yes. I guess. Uh, short, yeah, short answer, yes. The way our staff operates at the Korean Extension, we, we're very family-based. And it's because a lot of the Korean students that we have, they're so far from home. And they're so far from what they don't know. Obviously, we, we don't talk about the Trinity at all 
at first. It's only when, you know, the, the higher level classes is when we bring it up, when the students are more comfortable with their surroundings and who we are, if, you know. Um, you don't want to just blow so, them out of the water on day one. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. That would just be way over their head, too. And if we have some students who have knowledge already about Christianity, we, we, we don't want to cause any friction as well. I mean, we really just want to bring people closer and just to be hand in hand. We want to invest in people. We, we, we want to have networks. Even if the students don't graduate and they have to leave for some reason, we don't want to have that student leave and just forget us. And we don't want to forget that student. We want to keep in contact. We want them to have a good feeling when they think about the Bible yeah. College. So much so. more of a community orientation there where you're, you're really developing a network of people that are connected to each other, even if they go back to Korea. Yes. Uh, so. Interesting. So do you have a local church you go to? We actually have a local church here in the Korean Extension. Okay. So it's like a chapel? Uh, it's called a... Yes, uh, it's like a chapel, but w- we had a local church in at the Morrow campus, but we sort of relocated that church here and sort of revamped it uh, um, in a way where some of the members who were members at the local church in Morrow, a Korean church, started coming up to Duluth to go to church. So now we have something called a campus Bible church. Uh, we actually have two services, uh, Sunday afternoon and Monday afternoon. The service feeds not just local church members uh, in the local community, but also our students all at the same time. Okay. And it's also a time where students who feel comfortable uh, will pray, even have an opportunity to give a sermon, um, so pastoral preaching. And for students who uh, come on Mondays also— they have uh, a time to also be a part of the service as well. Oh, very good. So where do you see the the future of the work? Uh, I mean, what are you excited about as far as what's happening in Korea and the U.S.? Uh, We actually have a campus in Korea, too. There's a Korean extension in Korea. A lot of Steve's classes are recorded, and they're put up on YouTube. And it's actually on our site, our website, abcke.com. Weebly.com. I post some of those YouTube videos on the website as well. As far as the future is concerned, we're hoping that the Korea campus in South Korea uh, will continue to develop. Here in Duluth, we are hoping that in the future we'll be able to purchase property and build our own building because currently we're leasing our current uh-huh. facility. Recruitment continues to rise every semester. Um, right now, we are at 56 students okay. right now. And we continue to receive inquiries. I mean, even today, we received three inquiries for the spring already. Oh, very good. I'll tell you, we don't do a lot of advertising, whether it's in the local paper. Uh, the only advertising that we have is our internet site. Most of the advertising comes from our students, word of mouth. They present the school to their friends or their family members. This is a bulk of our recruitment. We tried the newspapers before, but that didn't work very well. It just seemed like a waste of money. 
Yeah, I think that happens a lot of times. You know, the newspapers, radio, TV, these things are very expensive, and a lot of times they don't have a high return, you know, whereas yes. word of mouth is, is typically the most effective. Uh, who do you have on staff? Is it just you and your dad, or do you have other employees too? Yes, it's Steve. It's myself, Jay Shim. His background is in history, uh, Eastern and Western history. He has a doctorate from Korea. He's also graduated through the Korean Extension Very Program. Cool. We have a... Uh, a music, a Christian music teacher. She has a master's degree in Christian music. My mother, and we also have a support staff for my mother who helps with uh, a lot of the meals. That that's a huge ministry for us. Uh, we cook Korean meals for our students for lunch. Wow. I don't know if you recall that yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, I mean that's just adding so much more work to the equation. <laughs> but uh, it, it, we, it allows like said, for that community we, aspect. Yes. Yes. We, we try to keep it very family-type oriented. Um, All right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share that uh, we didn't get to talk about yet? Uh, no. Uh, you know, what I hope is that people who are listening to this will become informed that there is a biblical Unitarian Korean movement, not only in the United States, but also in Korea. Uh, we have a, a Korean woman who uh, attends very faithfully to our church here, and and she is very much a collectivist, as you uh, were <laughs> saying before. She's always surrounded okay. by all these other Koreans, and uh, she, she brings three or four ladies with her. And um, she's also looking to go over to Korea and do ministry. So there's uh, one sense of encouragement to those of us who aren't involved in this people group to know that God does have people like you who are uh, bicultural uh, doing this work. And then, uh, you know, like your dad too, who is just a powerhouse of, you know, learning and teaching and recruiting. And, uh, he's like apostle to the Koreans right now that, uh, is, is out doing this work. Um, this is exciting. I, uh, I think a lot of people will be encouraged to just hear about it. Well, thanks so much for taking the time out today. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate Hopefully, it. Uh, this podcast can do some good. Well, that's it for this interview. If you would like to learn more about the Korean extension of the Atlanta Bible College, you can take a look at the show notes for this episode, which are either in your device or on restitutio.org. You just look for Interview 48, Korean Ministry, and you'll be able to find links to the Korean extension website as well as the YouTube channel. And I also have a PDF there of an application if you want to become a student there, whether you're in America or overseas and you want to apply for a, a student visa. Also, I've got some email information and the phone number for the school all in the show notes for this episode. Additionally, we've received some feedback from our last interview, Interview 47, Christian Disciples Church and the Only True God with Calvin Chan. This episode has been getting a lot of downloads. I think a lot of people are encouraged by it. Tracy writes in and says, Great interview, Sean. A big thank you to Calvin Chan. Very inspiring. The Christian Disciples Church definitely is a mission-minded church, and in fact, they were instrumental in one Chinese brother, Vaim, coming to know the only true God in Russia. They certainly practice what they preach. Great teamwork. I also wanted to mention that if you would like to meet Calvin Chan, and a number of folks from the Christian Disciples Church, we are having a big conference get-together in August of 2019, August 2nd to the 4th. We're calling it Converge, where a number of different biblical Unitarian groups are going to gather in the Cleveland area at a college campus there called Hiram 
for a weekend event, and Calvin Chan is slated to speak. So hopefully that all works out, and uh, a number of you will be able to come as well and really meet each other, and this can be a really great rallying point for all of us. If you're interested in this event, please go to convergefest.com. You could subscribe to receive updates through email and get more information about location and so on. We don't yet have a cost breakdown, but we're working very hard on that. So stay tuned for more information about Converge 2019. We've also been getting a number of comments in on the post that I did last Saturday called Paul's Teaching on Enemies, where I quoted Duke Divinity Professor Richard Hayes and his statement that there's, quote, not a syllable in the Pauline letters that can be cited in support of Christians employing violence, end quote. And a number of folks were unsettled by his statement there and were a little surprised to hear this point of view. And I realize this goes against what we commonly hear in Christian ministries, but I'm convinced that this is an important subject and one that's worthy of your consideration. So I've been responding there, and we've had some some nice dialogue with a, a few folks there. And so check that out if you're interested in that subject, the whole question of whether Christians are always to love their enemies, or if that is somehow limited. Also, I want to recommend that if you are interested in this subject, love your enemies slash Christian pacifism slash just war theory, and when self-defense is acceptable, that you would take a look at a full-length debate that I featured in podcast number 67. So take a look at that. It's called It's Just War. It's extremely well done. It's a two-hour debate. There's a YouTube of it, as well as I I broadcast it on this podcast as well, podcast 67, uh, with the permission of the organizers. So take a look at that if you haven't already. At least both sides are there, and you can make an informed decision if you're interested in this kind of subject. Thanks. That's it for today. We'll see you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.